you could say maybe it didn't do well because we didn't advertise. But you could never say that. And you also can't say that it did well because you advertised. <laughs> so you know, it's just stuff's going to happen. And then you can rationalize it however you want after the fact, I guess. Uh, so are we going to do for Crashlands 2? Probably. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 405 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the webs programmer. I'm sad, but I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is still February 20, 20 Jubilee. Crazy. Uh, before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. People went there, and we grabbed their money. It's good. Thank you very much. We appreciate also, it. Also, Seth said it's still the 20th because it was also the 20th on our last episode recording. So just to clarify, since you might have listened to that literally a week ago. Yeah, this is a pre-cording because we're recording it before we would normally record it. So is every recording a pre-cording? Yes. Yeah. What about a, what about a stream? That's yeah, that's a live not, stream. You know, that's why it's not a recording because it, it can't. But it can be recorded. recorded while you're streaming. So. It is a recording. It's just one that is being broadcast very shortly after it gets recorded. Yeah, you know, it's being uh, very shortly. Instead after. of storing it in a file, <laughs> you're storing it in people's eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, back when I was playing Eve Online, I wanted to find some Eve Online streamers that were good. Uh, but the problem is. It's very risky to reveal to the whole world what ship you're in and where you are. <laughs> and so all of the EVE Online streams uh, have like a 15-minute delay on them. That's hilarious. Yeah. That might still not be enough, actually, I would think, right? It's, yeah, that it's, it's a little bit – it's pretty good. But the real problem, I think, is just that like with any delay, the streamer can no longer interact with anybody in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, at least for an so, FPS with like for screen sniping and stuff, you know, you only need like a couple minutes and then that's not a problem. Even like 10 seconds, yeah. you know, is yeah, oftentimes yeah. good enough. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it turns out that those streams were not very engaging. That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of problem with that game. It's hilarious. It's a high risk problem. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't work as well for, for everything. But uh, hey, let's talk about yeah. Crash Lands 2. What about it? What? So what, what have we been up it? to? What we've been up to over this past week um, in Crashlands 2 is we we did a playthrough, got through uh, our, our next kind of milestone of fixing up a bunch of the early game stuff. And the next big game system that we decided it's time for is uh, some kind of phased storytelling system. So when what you do you mean next, by that? Well, actually, well, back at you, when you say the, the next big system, it's actually – it's kind of the last. It's kind of the last big. It's the last foundational big one. system. Yeah, yeah. Because there are game systems that we're working on, like pets, which fish uh, farming, whatever. Yeah, which you know, pets are is an adaptation of an existing thing. Where like, if we have creatures in the game, then we just need a way to like have a creature follow you and do stuff, right? Um, as opposed to like going from not having creatures at all to having pets. That would be a much bigger leap, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those big leaps with this phase storytelling thing. So just to kind of lay the context, the groundwork of what is this and what do I mean? Um, so back in the day, in the old Crashlands, uh, we were starting to put together the campaign, the story. And we ran into a problem pretty much immediately 
where we realized that that if you have, say, like a character that gives you a quest and you do that quest and you go back and talk to that character and then nothing happens, it's kind of dissatisfying, right? By, by, by nothing happens, you mean that the consequences of your actions, if only rendered in rewards to you or text dialogue, yeah. after so, a while feel a little stale? So yeah, if the like character doesn't across, go anywhere or... If, you, yeah, if they ask for some stuff yeah. and they're like, "Ooh, I need some, I need some potted bacon weeds for my mantle," you know, and then you give them the potted bacon weeds, and then they're like, "Thanks, buddy," and then they don't appear don't on the mantle. Them. Yeah. yeah, if they go, "Yeah, these will look great on my mantle," but then yeah, they don't appear on the mantle. So what happened? What was the point of that then, right? Um, or even just simple stuff, or stuff that seems simple on its face, like mm-hmm. uh, you go into an area and then like a character appears and has something to say and the character wasn't there and then they're there now right that's that's the concept of of phased changes to stuff in the world where the phases are sort of tied to events that happen so like once this quest is completed then this area moves to a new phase and that phase includes the presence of an important character or something so this is our concept of being able to have the world change over time as you do things um and so that's the the thing that we've been working on for Crash Ins 2. And oh boy, it there's a lot more problems this time around <laughs> uh, compared to before. And a big reason is that in the original game, the rules of the world were very simple in terms of like how we had to build it. Uh, the biggest the biggest kind of like sim- simplicity comes down to stuff like uh, everything was one by one. There was no big stuff that spread across multiple grid spaces. Um, and also, one item can only ever exist in one grid space. So one thing you may notice in the original game is if you ever blow up a tree or something like that, then all of the stuff that flies out forms a grid, lands in a perfect <laughs> grid. And if you blow up a bunch of trees, then all the debris that flies out will fly very far and it'll always stay equidistant from each other because they have to pick open grid spaces to land in. Okay, And so when you have that, a simple rule like that of like one thing per grid space, period, um, then putting together some kind of a system that changes those things is it's actually not too bad, you know? But now, Crash Hoots 2, oh boy. Oh, we really did it. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> oh, and it's not got, too bad on a few fronts, right? Because one of them is like figuring out what's where is really straightforward and cheap. Since like on the yeah, because you just there. look somewhere and then there, if there's something yeah. there. But then also <laughs> the logic of like, okay, what do I do if on like the next phase, next like layer, if I put something new in a space where there previously was something else, right? Well, if the rule is really simple, which is only one thing can be in a tile at a time then it's easy to infer that you're just, okay, I'm getting rid of that old thing and putting something new there, right? But if in a tile space, there is no clear, just like only one thing can be here, definitely, right? Yeah. And so if two things are there, but they're like three pixels apart and they're actually the same kind of thing. Yeah, like you get like a cluster of like a few individual like Does that mean you added something or that you replaced it or that you moved it, right? What is the interpretation of that difference between the two? Later. Yeah. So that's a lot more fuzzy. And then we also have a lot of, of interdependencies where elements in the world rely on things beyond their own area to exist. So an example is if you wanted to put a wall down in the original Crashlands, you could just do that. Just put the just put the wall down. Good to go. Right. In Crashlands 2, a wall needs to be supported by a pillar. So if you wanna 
If you want to place that wall, you can't. There's just no, it'll, you'll be blocked from doing it. Then you put the pillar down, and now you can build the walls off off of the pillar as long as they're supported. So, of course, on the flip side, if you have a bunch of walls there and then you destroy the pillar, the walls don't have support anymore and they too should go away, right? Um, so there's this kind of like recursive dependency where things things can be connected to a dependency chain even that goes far beyond where they currently are. Yeah, I'd say um, the, the, sim- the simple summary of it is the more interesting and interdependent the world is itself, the harder it is to cleanly manage changes over time. And this is the reason I mean, that why. That makes sense, right? It's exactly what you'd expect, right? Just, yeah. It gets harder as it gets it's more complicated. More, more complex. Yeah. And this is why you actually don't see, because I want to talk about like what a phase change means in the context of games and like how it fit into the original Crashlands. And, and I think in, in a large part in some of the success of the original Crashlands, which is that you don't see this actually very often in video games. Um, you see it in a couple of high profile places. Uh, so if you play- Or in pretty linear game experiences. Yes, or yeah, extremely limited experiences where the player is moving through a thing, um, that thing is changing, right? But as far as things phasing over time in a way that the player can sort of interact with from multiple angles or God forbid, can put something in a space that changes over time, which is the mm-hmm. weirdest one. Um, it's it's just, it's not very common, right? Uh, there's a big question there, which is like, okay, so why do you need to even bother? Because like, if, if you can get away with in RPGs, right? Having like doors open as, you know, you could technically call that a phase change. They're really, that could just be, you know, like an animated object sort of thing. Um, if you can get away with like doors opening and then telling a character to move from point A to B, uh, let's just say those two things and that, can undergird like most of your storytelling. Why bother with a more elaborate face change system, right? Um, and I think it really comes down to one, we didn't know any better, frankly, when we <laughs> made the first game, which is that uh, we, because of the simplified structure, because the design was such that we, again, it, you're sort of working off all your constraints all the time, right? So because the design of the world had to be simplified because of our constraints at the time, then when we approached the storytelling aspect of the game, uh, as Adam said, they're talking about here, it's like it was actually relatively straightforward to manage change within that particular kind of a system and changes that could be drastic, right? So you could have a whole river disappear or show up. You could blow a hole in the wall or build a whole wall in like a second, right? Um, versus like now that the game's got a lot more complexity and stuff in it, it trying to do, trying to basically be able to pull that same kind of functionality forward is very challenging, and very expensive. So like why bother if you can still do storytelling without it? Cause you just, cause you can't really, you know? uh, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, it's you, you know. can, you can, you can tell stories, but you can't show them, right? So you can have a character yeah. be like, oh, thanks for the bacon weed. I'm gonna put it on my mantle, right? So the character's telling you what they intend to do later, but nothing has actually changed. So there's, there's no obvious visual reward there. But also, you just, you just can't do as cool of stuff like. Let's say there's some kind of a uh, you got like some characters in a town and they've got like a farm, right? And the first time you see them, they're all pumped and they're talking about this great harvest that's coming up, whatever, right? And the next time you come into town, there's some kind of blight that's like crept mm. across their field, right? And and now they're like, oh my god, this is oh, fucking shit. bad. Shit's going crazy. That's that's a little snippet of dialogue from Crash Nights Two mm-hmm. uh, for you. Little teaser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so like, shit's going bad. Stuff is crazy, and now you can talk to them, and they're like, "We don't know what's going on. Like, we just woke up this morning, and our fields were just going nuts." 
and you can do a quest for them or a series of quests, right? Where like you learn about this thing and then you fix it and you restore their field, right? And so the idea of like having the field change over time and then doing something to change it back, it's very salient. Like it feels good. It feels real. You yeah, you feel like you have an impact on the world, I think, in a very intense way that if you just sort of are describing the effects or they're always invisible is a little... Well, I think you compare that to playing I like uh, the Pokemon games, like the, mm-hmm. right, where you're like, you're, you're like breezing through these towns, you like go get your bike or your roller skates or whatever the game gives you for faster travel, right? And you like go into houses and like talk to people and they give you some hints, right? And you go out and you're like, but your whole experience in the world really feels like you're a tourist, you know? Like it doesn't feel like yeah. you're part of that place. It just feels well, you like- You leave that town. It looks the fucking same as it did. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it feels like it's all a bunch of props, right? It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't or you talk to the same person. Every time you talk to them, they're like, wow, sun sure is bright today. <laughs> or some <laughs> yeah. shit. And then, then you, if you talk to them again, they'll just say the same thing. And no matter what has happened- Yeah. It feels like you're in a play, right? Like instead of you're in a place. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, that works. Oh, yeah. It could be fine. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. You could still have a great time with that. But it could be better. You know, yeah. and so that's that's kind of where where we are at. Where it's you know it's it's worth the investment to go through this and develop these systems um, because it just it just allows for such better experiences, better world, richer storytelling, characters that actually have interesting things happen around and to them. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So so we're kind of in the thick of that right now, and it's I think we also have this added challenge of. Of back when we made the original game, Adam developed the Crashlands Creator, which is what we used for developing the campaign and all this phased changes and stuff. Web-based, actually. Um, which Adam did sort of separately from the game. And while he was yeah. working on all that stuff, I was working on developing other stuff in the game. Um, now we actually, everything lives in the game where we have a map editor and and you can see stuff as it exists in the game using the map editor. And you can also edit these, you know, these scenes that change over time as well. And so we got to hook this new system up to all the existing things in the game, like the undo tracker yeah. in the world map where if you move stuff around in phases of an outpost and then you're like, oh, whoops, never mind, and you hit undo, right? It has to f- properly <laughs> revert things. And what gets undone. Yeah, so there's all these extra layers of stuff that, um, you know, we got to make sure we integrate it well. So uh, it's it's a big challenge, but I think yeah. it's it's totally worth it. So it's exciting uh, to me that we're, we're finally on what I would consider the last foundational system. You know what I mean? Like, especially given the, the recent playthrough and how well it went and stuff too, where it's like, we did, we still had a very good playthrough without that, which is why I was kind of trying to get at the question of like, do you have to do this, right? Um, and it's just kind of, it's, it's interesting to be at that point where it's like, okay, there's... There's like a really big, hard thing to figure out to like finally get us to the point where we're then on at least the medium sized or smaller hard things to figure out. You know what I mean? How does the boss fight work? How do pets work? Really? How do you tame it? You know what I mean? At the other day. But those are completely different questions than like, how do you move through time? Yeah. Well, then there's still challenging design problems, right? But the design is basically what is the player experience and then how do we... technically make that happen and the the technical side isn't that is at least hypothetically not that big right Um, versus this system which is actually what are we trying to provide an experience for the player which is just that stuff changes in an interesting way right and that's actually a boring kind of kind of proposition actually right because like 
as soon as you could change anything, like, well, now you can just change everything. And like, that's the feature now. So like the feature description is like just really simple. Right. But then how do we do it? Like, what do, what do we enable for ourselves yeah. to make that feasible? Because also like, you got to keep track of this shit. Right. Because if there's like, if there are, let's, let's say um, a few thousand quest, mo- like sub quest moments, right. Like pieces of dialogue that trigger new pieces of dialogue and so on. Right. And some of those also trigger any one of a dozens or a few hundred locations to shift into a different phase, right? And if you can't keep track somehow of like how all this stuff interacts, then you can't do it. Yeah, you just, you You literally can't do it. it. And so, so the puzzle here is like, how do we build a robust enough system that we can do what we need to do, which is just change stuff? but then keep track of it and make the experience as developers to like add content um, manageable and bearable and low error. Yeah. And I mean, so many of our conversations over this past week have just been like, okay, here's something that sounds simple, but it fucking isn't. So so even, even something like, let's say you got, just as a simple example, you got, you got a, a scene that has a couple of phases. In an early phase, you've got a character, right? And then in the next phase, you're like, I want that character not to be there anymore, right? So you they leave. So you deactivate that character. Like you turn them off basically. So, so now you can't see that character anymore in the world, right? If you're looking at that phase, that character is gone. There's, no, there's nothing there, right? If you want to bring that character back in the next phase, how do you do that? Because you can't click on the character to interact with them, to like select them and say, I want to make this character reactivated, (laughs) right? And so the idea that like in the past, what we did back in the old game was we just destroyed the character and then you just put a new one down, right? Because things were non-unique in that way. But in Crashlands 2, that one character is the same character as it moves around. And so we can't quite do it the same way we did before. And it sounds easy to do like, yeah, I want to like deactivate this thing in one phase and then reactivate it in a, in a later phase. Weirdly difficult problem. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so we're just kind of, we're like churning through all these things and it's a, uh, it's a real big undertaking, but we'll, we'll get there. I'm sure by the time this episode airs, we'll be long past this problem. Oh, it'll definitely. be totally solved totally. and there yep. won't be any bugs or anything. Nope. So, uh, all right. Now to round out this episode, what I'd like to do is get to some questions. Does that sound good? Yeah. You guys? Let's go. Uh, and my questions, I mean, maybe one, cause you know, that's just how we roll. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the highest upvoted question from podcast.bscotch.net comes from Mema Bip Gorky, who says, you mentioned for Levelhead that you spent an uncomfortable amount of money for advertising. We, we did, yes. We did, yeah. uh, Are you doing the same thing for Crashlands 2, or do you have a different strategy? Uh, I think a thing that we've continued to say, and then all evidence continues to mount towards being true, is that the the highest value proposition thing you can do for visibility on a, on a game release is with front page store visibility. Platform partners. And nothing else even comes close in terms of like sheer power so that if you can secure those kinds of uh, feature treatments, that that kind of, you know, support from your, from your platforms, then I think anything else is a waste of money. I just like. Well, so I think there's, that's sort of where, that's where the question of like, if and when and how to think about the advertising comes in, because to me, it's like. If what is required for you to basically appear on the radar of, say, Steam, to be able to email a Steam rep and be like, hey, we already have 40,000 wishlist, bub, and then get mm-hmm. that, right? 
is like, I don't know, a $15,000 YouTube marketing campaign or some shit, right? Then that, that is well worth the money spent if, if it's sort yeah. of like getting, If it gives you if that you conversion. Yeah. 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 And this this is this is the kicker for me is like I I am over the years I've become totally unconvinced that advertising does anything useful that you can measure or point to for at games, all. I assume. Uh I don't I honestly don't know and even in general I mean it, it it operates on faith, you know, because so much of what happens with ads is is it's like this zero-sum game where it's like, well, I got to put up this billboard because if I don't, my competitor's going to put up the billboard and then people will know about the competitor, right? Or same thing with search results. I want to bid up and make sure that I'm the sponsored link at the top so that my competitor isn't the sponsored link at the top. And that, you know, may, maybe in some of those cases, if it's if we're talking about like edging somebody out in a search result or something, maybe. Um, but the wild thing for me is you'll have a company come to you and they'll say, hey, we're an ad company. We will help you put together an ad campaign and we will help you sell more units, right? And if you say, can you put a number on it? Like how many more units do you think you could help me sell? Or what percentage do you, boost do you think I could get? You know, uh, there's, no, there's, they can't, there's no way to know. Like they can't answer that because there's just no way to measure it. Um, yeah, attribution is too difficult for yeah, ads. So. as possible. So, and I mean, you imagine like pre-internet, right? All you would have is like, you put up a billboard and then, or you put out a radio ad or a TV and ad, right? but all that just goes out and there's absolutely no feedback coming back about which of those things, or like, or putting it in magazines or whatever, right? Like, like there was absolutely no way to know if there was a conversion rate, right? And so the way that you had to yeah. measure these things were basically like various kinds of polling or like special phone numbers that people would call. So you could kind of like guess that, okay, well, if they call this number, they probably saw this ad or whatever, That's right? Funny. I mean, it is the case that like direct mail and email uh, marketing remain two of the ones that probably because they're attributable in a lot of ways. Um, well, and they're are, really cost effective, right? Because like yeah, they're sending fuckloads of emails, like say sending, you know, a million emails, right? You could do that for a few hundred bucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. and actually yeah. you could probably do that for a less depending on like how low level you want to operate a service at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like you yeah, can do which is why sure. all these companies love selling users uh, contact information to other companies, you know, because yeah. they... <laughs> That's, that's that's that direct to consumer marketing. Um, yeah, I think my my take on it is that uh, is I think a little bit different than yours, Seth. Which is that I think the role of advertisements and marketing, whatever else, only makes sense in regard to a broader strategy that you're putting together with regards to hitting or getting basically getting buy-in from certain people at certain times, uh, showing that the game has been seen by some people. Which is a you know you can do that. You can say like yeah, the trailer has been seen a million times, which is a use like is a thing that you can say and it means mm -hmm. something to people. What does that mean exactly? Everyone kind of makes up their own variant of that, right? But yeah, um, well, yeah, you can use it to cheese things, right? Because like, yeah, if you if you do an, a YouTube ad campaign and you're promoting a video, then your video will just get shown to people when they're looking at other videos, right? And so mm -hmm. the view counter on your video goes up, which, like you said, you can then point to as proof that it's been your seen. video is popular. When really. Yeah. You just paid for the numbers, right? Well, but, but I think I think it's the thing. So, it's like I think the reality is that what you're what people are trying to answer in a lot of these contexts is is a very simple question, but one that you cannot answer, which is basically, is this game going to be successful, mm -hmm. right? So everyone, players too, I think it's a different question for players. Which, but the questions, am I going to have fun playing this game? Which, as everyone who has ever played more than like five games knows, you can't quite know 
by looking at any of the materials for it. You, you actually can't answer that specific question. You have to play the game first before you can tell if that's true, right? It's an experienced good, as we talked about. So what everyone's doing is, is a substitution. You're answering a different question, right? Mm-hmm. So in the case of players looking at store pages, typically it's, is this game, has this game been reviewed a lot already? And are the reviews all right? And, or uh, what are the graphics like? What does mm-hmm. it look like? Does it How look like the kind of thing I would have fun playing? Yes. Does it look good? Which is, again, that is not the same question, but you you can't answer the other question without going further down, so you answer a substitution, right? And I think it's the same way with platforms, press people, whatever else. It's the same, which is that they're trying to say, is this game going to be predictive future, going to be successful? You cannot answer this question. So instead, you try to rely on some other things, which is, again... Does it look good? Does it look like it could be successful? To, who's the team making it? You know what I mean? Like, what's the, what are they about? And then, yeah, uh, what's the view count? How many followers do they have on Steam, right? And you see that these people, everyone trying to guess like Steam uh, wishlist conversions and stuff. And the range is huge. It's when very you do wide, it, right? yeah. They're like, the range, If you, I can't remember what exactly it is, but there's some coefficient, but it's like basically like 30% to, or it's like 30x to like 75x captures like most people, like two standard deviations out or something. Mm-hmm. That is such a fucking huge range, right? It is a range, but it's so huge that it's like, it's the same thing, which is it's everyone's just looking at the horoscope, you know, like it. Yeah, you're trying, it's like, it's a, it's just a gist. You're like uh, in that direction. So I think when it comes to advertising, I do, I do think there's a super good use for it. But I think similar to what we've learned, frankly, along like almost every domain, I think relying on it in terms of the direct effect is. Yeah, I think you lose money for trying to use it for user acquisition. I think. Yeah, if you're only for, for games, for I think across the board, like the direct, you spend a dollar, how many dollars do you get out? Because you spent yeah, that dollar, a person saw it, and then they bought it, right? Uh, I don't think yeah, in games, like, unless unless you're in the free-to-play space where you can average uh, a few hundred dollars per, per paying user, per, per paying user yeah. right? Then that's that's like the domain where you can start to actually eke out a positive balance there. But right. I think everywhere I think else, you, basically, you just can't. Yeah. So I think within the lens that you, which is true, is like there's, it's not the only thing happening though, right? In the case of like, yeah, if you do manage to get a user um, or two, um, even if it costs twice as much as you are like trying to make it cost, there are knock-on effects of that if the game is good, right? Person tells a friend, like there's all sorts of other stuff yeah, like that. The person or, was again, a streamer, right? Who, yeah, the person right. was a streamer. Or again, like Steam sees the numbers on your YouTube video or something like that, right? And so it's like, it's a loss leader. That's how I think of it. It's how I think about it now, which yeah. is like, it's not about converting people in that moment with that, say, trailer or Reddit ad or whatever, so much as it is about the whole roll up of all this stuff, which is come launch day. Yeah. Have a million people seen your trailer, which you can't you can actually count just nice you know, on YouTube. And then can you show that fact to some people who would care about that? And then use that and then has that translated into some, it will translate into some amount of followers, right? On your Steam page or whatever else, wish list. Yeah, but you can and also create a sense. Maybe. You can also create a sense like on <laughs> launch day, right? That like all of a sudden this game is everywhere, right? Yeah, and um, there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, sure. it's going to cost you a lot to do it. And the end result might be nothing, right? And there's a, and there's just no way to know actually like if it did what you wanted it to do, right? Yeah. But but I think yeah to, to like Sam's point about it's about it's about trying to stack all of the probabilities in your favor given that success is this combination of uh of something controlled based on everything you do have control over, you know, the game itself, all of your market materials, all that kind of stuff. And then the random chaos of who sees stuff about your game and when, right? 
And so advertising is sort of a way to juice who sees what, when, right? Yeah. But like advertising can't sell a game that people don't want, right? Yep. Um, and I don't even think it's a multiplier. I think it's basically if there's a threshold you're trying to hit to cause something to happen, I think it can help you move up to a threshold, you know, mm-hmm. potentially. Um, but I if you're already it's... in that like balance where like that's the difference, I think it's not super likely that like. Yeah, well, and that's that's, that's the, the thing, concern right? I have is like if you've got a game that people are really into and it's easy to get, you know, buyers or wish lists or, or whatever, right? then it's the thing that you can never tell is if you spent money on advertising, how much of, how many, how many of those people who ultimately do end up wishlisting whatever would have just done it anyway. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. you, you can't know because you also don't even really know how many of your wish lists or purchasers even came from the ads in the first place. But that's why I think but, you don't focus on that. You don't even, cause like there are other things that are useful and important in terms of like the overall launch of a game, right. That are usable in other ways that you actually can pay for and you could see if that if you're getting the results you want, right? It's like the trailer. Like we did the level head trailer, which we paid some money for YouTube ads for, right? In that case, you you can just you could just see people watching it. You know that the average view is not different than like a normal person watching the thing who just found it. So it's like, okay, cool. So these are people are interested in it. You know, as far as this video goes at the same rate as the other people were, you stack up a bunch of views and then you could point to it, right? And there is value in just having that because it's because you can see it. I think the difference is and what we're talking about is basically like, as soon as you're paying for something that is invisible, which is attribution in terms of like, did someone go buy your game? After, is, that, if that's the, is that the only thing you're getting from the advertisement? Is the op, is someone buying your game? Is that the only thing you can get in terms of value? You see what I'm saying? Versus like, well, it's it's a cost can't. benefit, right? Because it's like you're going to spend money with the assumption that that you're going to get a return. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and somehow. Yeah. yeah. And what I think is so challenging about it is that it, it feels like a scam in the sense that, oh, totally. that nobody who's selling you ads can point to anything that demonstrates what that return could be. <laughs> the re- yeah, um, the re- well, the reliability is really low. I think that's the thing, too. It's like, because sometimes they can point to campaigns that they've done that have pumped up, where, but it's almost like publishers in a sense, right? Where it's like sometimes, it's in exactly some circumstances, it can work or appears to work. It, it, but also, and a lot of times it doesn't do anything. So it's like, what the fuck? Where well, a lot of times, a lot of times nothing happens, and, and I no think matter what ad, happens, an advertising you can't say is the same as launching a game in the sense. I of think like, it is. Yeah, like it's if you have a game that could be successful, right? Then an advertising campaign for it could also look successful. Yeah, I could see that. Right, sure. as in like people right. interact with it and whatever, right? But that same game, when you go to publish it, is was going to be successful anyway, right? In the right. same way that, like, if you have a game that's successful behind a publisher, like, it's not the publisher that made it successful. They, they may have made it happen, right? And they may have provided the money to have it exist at all. They may have had the contacts to make sure you do get the store page treatment. So there, there are reasons that you can still leverage that, right? But the, that's not about – they're not doing something external to the main they're system. More like, it's more like they're making the game exist <laughs> yeah, exactly. more so than making it yeah. successful. Yeah. And making sure you have the right uh, – partnerships with with the platform holders mm-hmm. um so yeah i think i, I think i'm I, I i mean i i gotta buy all directions of this but i fall into i fall into Seth's camp of in general i think it's not worth spending advertising dollars and and again like everything we've ever done has has borne that out pretty strongly yeah, has borne that out pretty strongly. <laughs> and and it's and it is really expensive to just throw money at advertising um mm-hmm. 
And I think you also, to even see any like chance of it being useful, you actually have to spend a lot of money on it, right? Because conversion rates for advertising are so low. That's that the fascinating thing. I think the sheer number did. of people you need to show this shit to is so high yeah. that you have to spend a fuckload of money to actually do that. And then at that point, if you have that kind of money already to do it, then you probably already have like the business partnerships and stuff that you need to make it successful. Well, and, and there's, on a, and on. there's a paradox because the, the bigger an audience you market to, the lower your conversion rates get because the less targeted the ad is. Right. Yep. And so it's like the, you know, it's not, it's not like Coca-Cola where you're just like, Hey, do you have a mouth? Like, <laughs> come on in, you're a potential customer. Right. And so they just, they just fucking advertise everywhere because anytime you are out and about and deciding on a beverage, they want to be like the most recent beverage you've seen. That's right. True. It is mostly um, food, food and beverages are like your, uh, uh, I feel like a lot of food beverages and like insurance I feel like there are a lot of your Super Bowl ads, which feels like the most blankets, you know, sort of place to put an ad. Yeah. Just and it actually, it reminds me a lot kind of, of, of when I was in law school and my intellectual property class and we were talking about patents. The intent of a patent is to allow the inventor of something to monopolize the invention, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's for a protected for like a monopoly. Yep. Yeah, so for like a 20-year period, they just they just get to – they don't even have to make the thing. They just have the patent. They can license the patent out to somebody else. Or they can um, just hold on to it and prevent anybody from making it. Yeah. And so – Like that – remember that game patent about having a minigame that you can play during a load screen that, mm, that yeah. finally expired, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago, something like that? It expired after we started doing our stuff, right? Yeah. And, and like – why, you know, like why pat that? But the end result was that literally nobody had mini games and loading screens, right? Because who the fuck wants to pay a licensing fee to somebody to do that? To some asshole, I think is the term. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, like who wants to do that, right? It's yeah. so just nobody did. Yeah. And then that it was it wasn't like that person was like, oh yeah, I'm like because I patented this, I've like figured out this really cool technology that like no, it was just a trivial idea, right? That he yep. somehow yep. got a patent on. Yeah, um, and, so, and then just basically monopolized it and also prevented anybody else from using it. Yeah, and so so it's this weird thing where where a, a patent uh, is actually only likely to generate a return in two scenarios. One is it a pharmaceutical patent uh-huh. because people will <laughs> die if they don't you know get medicine, right. and, and you don't and have other, any laws preventing you from charging them. Yeah, and the other support. scenario where a patent can bring in money is the one Adam described where you basically squeeze through the patent system and end up patenting something that is actually fairly generic and obvious and shouldn't have been able to be patented. And And then then you just start suing everybody. Right. And so meanwhile, you have other people who are genuinely trying to like make some new technology and they patent it. And almost every single time they just lost money on the patent. Yep. Like they, the benefits they get from the patent, it's, it's like $30,000 on average. At least it was like 10 years ago when I was in law school. Yeah. For filing a to, patent. To, to, to get a patent. Yeah. It's really expensive. And it takes, and it takes a couple of years and it's legal fees. And like, once you have the patent, you got to enforce it if somebody violates it and all this stuff. Right. And so, so there's this idea out there. They're like, Oh, got an invention, get a patent. Just like how, Oh, you want to sell something, do ads. Except there's actually only a real small sliver of 
situations where that's a good thing to spend money on. And in almost all other situations, it's, it's actually yeah, totally know. worthless. It's, it's but I think it's one of those things because like, I, I kind of agree, but also it's one of those things I think that preys on, you know, admittedly, the reality that at the end of the day, if you just spent, say you spent like $2 million making a game and you have the opportunity to spend, I don't know, 50K, 100K or something, like a portion of your budget, right, as an indie, on on that kind of a advertising campaign. That maybe I could, you don't know. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's a it's a faith based argument. It's the Pascal's wager of business, yeah. right? Where you're just like you're just like, well, you know, if you don't believe, you might go to hell. So you should <laughs> probably just do it. Right? Well, right? I mean, but but it, I think the cost is the question. Like, I think the, the problem is basically it always comes down to cost. That's really where you're getting at. Which is like, what's the cost? But I think mm-hmm. it's important to, to look at it in relative terms, right? Because it is. Well, but it's not yeah, just that can, though, because it's in relative terms, but also the likelihood of it being worth the cost, right? Because it yeah, is. Because yeah, yeah, you're right. It's all like things it's a, put together. Yeah, because if it's a small cost relative to the overall cost, then, then arguing from a purely a financial perspective, like, oh yeah, it gets a little weird. Yeah, right? it doesn't make sense. But if you also have no reason to believe that it will return anything, then you know, still not a good good. Because like, because especially at that kind of once you're at that kind of a of a threshold, right? Because because then you can make that argument for just about anything, where you're like. Well, our overall budget is really big, so even a tenth of that, which might still be a really big number, right, um, is like a marginal increase, so it's no big deal. Yeah, which is just the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, so we can like – so because th- you could argue they basically just throw that at, at anything pretty much that might do something, right? You yeah, know? just put that 50K into the stock market, you know? <laughs> that would be yeah, a well, wiser just, move. The thing is this is the same argument. We had this argument internally all the time because it's like there's – there's stuff that comes up that seems like should we try doing that, but it costs some change, right? To get involved with, or you know, even if you're if you talk about like being in being in a booth at a fucking conference, right? It's kind of, it's the same thing again, which is like it can be very good in terms of giving you a presence on a show floor that allows you to meet some people, right? Meet some press people, whatever else, but also. But at what cost? Meet, yeah, well, you might not meet any of them, and your team yeah. might be knocked out from the well, floor. And for if two you weeks after. had the kind of game that would attract their attention, you probably could have just sent an email. You know? yeah, can you just send an email? Yeah, is there? Can you just do that? Right. It's it's, it's all yeah. that like that's always the hedging you're doing. I think where if you have the means to, I think in many ways, try to abate some of your anxiety, frankly, about all this stuff. I mean, look at like the AAA budgets. Like half of it is fucking marketing at this point. Tremendous yeah. amount of marketing, right? Yeah. I mean, I um, think. I mean, I just, I stand by that. I think, I think spending money on advertising is just making a sacrifice. You're just making a sacrifice to the gods of business, hoping that your product will succeed. <laughs> you're a publicly traded company too, right? Because if we, if we just, talk about this praying. in like faith-based terms, right? Um, if people just kind of believe it, right? Um, then that also means that if you are a publicly traded company, then if you, you don't have the option, to not do advertising oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. the board won't let you because the shareholders won't let you. And it actually, there was... Yeah, because of the belief that it works. Yeah, I remember there was... I can't remember what that story... There was some story I remember either hearing or maybe Seth was talking about it. This was a while ago. Um, but it was some publicly traded company where they actually did a, did some really clever attribution analysis that allowed them to get a much better sense of like... Oh, yeah. Did this campaign do anything, right? And even with like really good analysis where they could actually like capture a lot of information, the end result was basically it wasn't worth it. It just – it was just us throwing wash. money away, right? Yeah, and but, they, but had, but they so- had the numbers to show like, hey, we should stop spending so much money on advertising, right? 
But then even though the board looked at those numbers like, yeah, all these numbers make sense, but we we still have to spend like a third of our budget on advertising because it doesn't matter actually that it doesn't well, it's, work. Well, it's right? the idea of like if you if you don't say your prayers and something bad happens, mm-hmm. right, then, then you could be like, oh, I should have said my prayers. Yep. <laughs> Well, but, right. but I think so in this like case, you, it's that it's that you answer to somebody else, right? And actually, because like if you're yeah. if you're a publicly traded company, like your job isn't like if you're Activision Blizzard, right? Your job isn't to sell World of Warcraft, right? Your job is to make your company's stock value seem high, right? That's actually yeah. your primary job as a company. And if that's the case, then you just well, have to do things that, the, that, yeah, that, that people who buy and sell stocks believe make things higher, right? Which is why you saw like the moment like the Google released their BARD, right? And there was an incorrect statement in it and like the stock just plummets, right? Did, did Google's situation actually change meaningfully when that, like, no, of course not. It was a, it was a preview, it was like a fucking screenshot that they actually showed to people, right? Well, and importantly, Bing gives the exact same answer. Yeah. If you ask, yeah. If you ask Bing a question, it'll, it'll, Give you the same incorrect yeah, piece of and information. And yet, like Microsoft <laughs> stock went up with their announcement and Google's fell, right? Because yeah, these are it's all stupid. Yeah, because it's not it's not actually a rational market and it's not based on the reality of like what those companies are doing. It's based on this gut emotional response people have. So so I think I mean I tr- I think I'm on bo- I, gr- I agree with Seth in this direction of like I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of advertising spending is basically mega companies making their shareholders feel good it's about appearance. investing it's, in those yeah. companies. It's the business equivalent of dancing around trying to get it to rain. You know, like yep. you can't, you can just, you literally cannot point to a connection between what you're doing and what happens later. There's no way to measure it, right? And so people are like, well, you know, if we stop advertising no, I think and then is, something I, I happens. Think, but I think that's where we disagree because that's just not true. Because like, if you, again, if you go back to the direct mail or email marketing stuff, like there are places where you can see working. I think what we're talking about is a cost problem. Here. We're yeah. talking about purchasing ads like YouTube videos or Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Is like, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not about the accurate. cost effectiveness. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the cost effectiveness. Yeah, it's not it's that not it does literally it nothing. Do yeah, the yeah. question is, does yeah. it do enough to be worth the cost? And I think, yeah. and that's where, yeah, and, and, I, and I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's not that advertising does literally nothing. It's that it, it for does most kinds of it advertising, it does so little relative to its cost that- it's not worth doing unless you have uh, a different goal in mind yeah. that it can serve that is actually not about selling things. So if it's to give yeah. the appearance to your share, it's like take, take like Super Bowl ads, right? Huge, huge expenses, enormous expenses, Insane. right? But if you are able to afford a Super Bowl ad, right? The fact, just the fact that you did then that. Do you need one? <laughs> yeah, you don't actually. The fact that you did that is the signal. Like, Cause yeah, it's all these like fast food restaurants and, and like insurance companies. Yeah. Does anybody not know that Geico exists? Or you know? Arby's or, or Arby's or any of these like, no, everybody knows they exist. Right. But how do they know they exist, Adam? No, me. Because you see them when you drive everywhere. Because they're right. on store shelves. Yeah. <laughs> and they and, all, and sure, like over time, like you, we're being advertised to by these companies like constantly over time, right? And so there is something to be said for, but it, but this has this has everything to do with lifetime value of a customer, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? When you're when you're a fast food restaurant, if you have people who yeah, like true. your restaurant, right, then they're gonna come there like once a week, once a month, once a whatever mm-hmm. for their whole fucking lives. Right. So like the lifetime value of a single customer is enormous for any kind of a company or an insurance company that 
that works based on a subscription model, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think of a fast food restaurant as a kind of subscription because you pay and you get a sandwich and you just keep on doing that forever, yeah. right? Then <laughs> yep. that works because the lifetime <laughs> value is so high. And this is also why free to play can be it can be cost effective to advertise yeah. because mm -hmm. you can make infinite money off of a single person and therefore you can have a high lifetime spend value, infinite right? money to get yep. them. Yeah, you can spend everybody to get them, right? But if you are selling one-off goods at relatively low prices, so like any even a hundred dollar video game is that's a that's a lifetime total spend now, right? For the customer who buys it, and so take that and take that versus a car, because again, like cars have advertisements all the time too, right? But you're talking like what the median car is what twenty thousand dollars or something, oh, yeah, or yeah. whatever it is, right? So. Margin's a little higher. The margin is way higher. Like if and it costs if it costs them a thousand dollars to sell one car through advertising, right? Then that's worth it. It's probably fine. Yeah. If it costs them three thousand dollars to do it, right? It's probably still worth it. So yeah, I think the it's I think it's in the space in which games operate, on average, the lifetime value of your customers for a single game are so low relative to the cost of the vast majority of forms of advertising that I think the value proposition is just, is not, it's just not there. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I, so I would, I would never say advertising doesn't do anything. All I know is I'm unconvinced that it does do anything. Okay. Or that it does a, enough, I think. As in just like, just like back, you know, a few episodes back when we were like, <laughs> people can't say that AIs don't know things. Right. Uh, but you also can't say that they do. Mm -hmm. You just can't. You can't say anything either way. So, like, I would never make a claim. Well, you can, depending on if you just define your terms first, you know? right? But yeah, I, I would never make a claim that advertising doesn't do anything because my stance is that nobody can really prove anything about what advertising does or doesn't do, right? Uh, and you can guess, and you can kind of like try to find proxies to explain it. But at the end of the day. You're going to spend a bunch of money on ads and then something's going to happen and you never know whether that thing was going to happen anyways, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it is so, again, It is the same as having a publisher, right? Like it's the... Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing as is because for any of these kinds of... And again, this is for games, right? Because for games, you care about this at launch, right? Yeah. Again, if you're like a fast food restaurant, then your restaurant it's exists the whole time. You're not launching your restaurant, right? So... And again, it's a it's a subscription service, right? So like, people will just keep on buying it. So you can actually experiment with advertising and, and attempt to measure it over time, right? Because you could, in theory, tell the difference between advertising and not based on things that you can control. But what you can't do is launch a product with and without advertising, right? Yeah, it's not not a thing yeah, that's possible. Somebody's right? either going to see the ad or not. Yeah, or or with or without a publisher, <laughs> right? So either way, there's there's just no way to to know what the outcome would have been, and that's what allows also like that's what makes these things so fraught because anywhere where that's true, like alternative medicine is another like example of this, right? When there's just no way to know what would have happened then all the pressure is like, well, do everything to stack stuff in your favor, right? And that's where all the charlatanism comes in. Because yeah. now, if that's the incentive and there's just no way to know, and everyone's trying to hedge their bets, then it's just really easy to move into that space and be like... Oh, yeah. Keep weaseling in stuff. Yeah, and be like, well, oh, I can't yeah. prove it, but, you know, like... And well, it's, it's the thing where, like, I saw a video where somebody was, like, sharing a home remedy for fevers, and it's like, cut up a piece of potatoes... <laughs> Cut up slices of potatoes and put them in your socks. 
<laughs> yeah, go to yeah, bed. And then <laughs> go to bed. And then when you wake up, you'll see that like the potato slices are just all black because they've like absorbed the toxins from the disease. <laughs> right. you know? Of course, they've just oxidized, oxidized because yeah, all that happens is like do. the potatoes oxidized and you slept a bunch. So you're, the likelihood of your fever <laughs> going down by the time you wake up it's is, it's, it, it, there is a, high. there is a probability there. Right. And so, it, but again, it, it's, it's, yeah, I, I do like the Pascal's wager analogy here because people are like, well, you know, if you, if you say that's silly, I'm not going to put potatoes in my socks. And then you go to bed and you wake up and you still have a fever. Somebody's going to be like, should have put potatoes in socks. Put I told you, you should, it you always should, works. You should have yeah, done it. But it ignores, <laughs> but yeah, but these always ignore the cost, right? Because the cost is you had to go to sleep with potatoes on your feet. Yeah, which is fun. That's got to feel <laughs> really <laughs> gross. Odd. No, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. So none of, you know, None of these it, things are actually free, no. um, and yeah. that—that's my beef with it. Is it's always it's always that just in case kind of hedging of like, well, you would you'd be kicking yourself if like the game didn't do well and you didn't advertise because you know then you could say maybe it didn't do well because we didn't advertise, but you could never say that, and you also can't say that it did well because you advertised. <laughs> so no, it's just stuff's gonna happen, and then you can rationalize it however you want after the fact, I guess. Uh, so are we going to do it for Crashlands 2? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> At least we'll, a little bit. We'll do, some, it has, we'll do some strategic. It has purposes. Yeah, we'll yeah. do strategic advertising, but it won't be. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to have decided ahead of time, like, what is it that we think we can accomplish by to, okay, spending what dollars it is for. on something? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, for example, it, I can get you. I can't get you if you say, hey, we need to get some we need to get some extra wish list sort of momentum in here before X thing that's happening so that the algorithmically we're in a better spot, right? You can do that, right? You can. Yeah. You can juice. Yeah, we can we can juice our wish list numbers. Right. With yeah. does it actually by spending enough advertising dollars, right? Yeah. Um, but can we juice are we can we juice it enough and are we willing to spend as much as it takes? And does that get us the outcome that we need as a consequence, right? Yeah. Would that would that in that exact bucket be cost effective? Yeah. Right? In terms because of if, yeah, yeah, not. if we like manage to talk to Steam and Steam's already just like, Oh hey, we love this and we're going to front page feature to launch and they just tell us that, then fuck no, I'm not I don't want to spend any money trying to, no, I have to. trying to game wish list, right? Because like that's definitely not going to be worth it, um, and it probably wouldn't be anyway. Because again, I just think the value proposition is too, or the conversion rate is too low for the for the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's uh, worth it in that particular moment versus the using it to do something with it, right? Down yeah, because you can't yeah, do know. that. I mean, all, all that I can say from my own experiences is I've never clicked an ad on purpose. Yeah, but that's you're not. You know? You're not most people, and that's not even that's not. I don't know. That's not exactly the relevant metric as what exactly you do on the day to day. Yeah, but, I don't but even I guess, see. Ads. No, what I'm saying is, if you're like, I can, I, we can do something to juice the wish list, right? You can. But like, can we though? Yes. Yes, you can. I mean, we absolutely can. Because it, it, yes, yeah, you can. <laughs> it, it isn't the case that these that these do nothing. It's all about the rate and the cost, right? Because yeah, it, is it yeah. cost effective? Yeah. Probably not. If you're just looking at do the extra wishes that we get during this window pay for themselves based on the amount we pay right. to get them, right? Probably the answer not, is but definitely if, no. But if that yeah, if we're like, let's say let's okay, let's just say Steam won't talk to us. They're just like, fuck mm-hmm. you, we don't care about your game. Right. And nice. So we don't know what's gonna happen. And let's say we've we've got our launch trailer out already and like we got the Steam page up. We're sitting there at like nineteen thousand five hundred wish lists. And then we believe, but you know, without proof because there's no way to know but we're like if we can get to that 20k wish list threshold 
we think that that's a threshold where like even though steam's ignoring us from a human level that we're going to we're going to get their fucking robots involved right mm-hmm. if we had good reason to believe that which we don't but i'm just in this hypothetical right and so we needed 500 wish lists to push us into a domain where we go from not having a front page feature at launch yeah. to having a front page feature at launch right and it cost us $10,000 to do that. It is worth doing. That's so, then, right. again, if we believe all of those components, right, yeah, then, then yeah. we can absolutely, like, I bet we could spend $10,000 and get 500 wish lists. Oh, yeah. Right? Better get 500 um, I think, but I honestly don't think it would be, like, much better than that. <laughs> because, <laughs> probably not. Because yeah, the conversion rates are not. terrible. But, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, if saying, you want, yeah, if you want, like, 100,000 wish lists, you're just not going to advertise no, your no, way. No, you can't, absolutely not. You can't pay your way into that. And I think, but that's, so that's your point, I think. That is what you're saying. It's like, I think the cost yeah, it's just the conversion rate is, is just low. low as fuck. And that's, yeah. That's but true. what I'm saying is that, is that it it's not matter, zero. What you, yeah. What you want to use it for is not for the whole success of your game. It's to, it's to sort of line up particular moments so that they actually hit in a certain way such that you are able to capitalize on bigger things that actually do move units. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but the, there's another, I think actually the better use case of advertising as a platform is actually to do like A/B tests, right? So like, see what works as far as yeah. So it's like if you're like if you're like I want to know what marketing materials grab people's attention better, right? Then basically doing an A/B advertising test is just a fairly cost-effective way, actually, of getting a few thousand people to see something, and then ask, did people seeing this tend to click on it at a significantly higher rate than people who saw this yeah, other? Which thing, one's right? better? Right. Yeah, or or even just here's two YouTube videos. We're just going to show them. Yep. Which one do people stick around for? Yeah, exactly. Even yep. Click on it, but just yeah. Like, and for those, like you just need, in, you know? yeah, you just need a whole bunch of people, right? And so, I actually think of it kind of more from that end, which is like if you're trying to do, if you need some data that you can meaningfully yes. infer stuff from, um, spending advertising money to get people for that kind of a purpose, when you only need like a few thousands of people, right? is actually very cost effective. But then again, even there, I think usually that doesn't matter though, because the cost of creating the things that you're trying to compare is so high. Yeah, you gotta make two whole like trailers, a trailer or something, something. Right? <laughs> that you're probably better off just making the one that you like design, right? Like that you just have really good design strategy for. I think, so, but I think I think it's also that's also the hedging thing because it's like again when it comes to taking advantage of these big moments, right? So if Steam if Steam does say feature your game and uh, and you did do an A/B test and one of your trailers does actually outperform the other, just in terms of yeah. general engagement, yeah, if it, yeah, like yeah, if it does, yep. yeah, then you're like, oh, that was actually thousands of dollars that we've left on the table at this point, right? Um, or it, tens or hundreds, like, depending on good, yeah, could be more. And all that again, because this is all self-reinforcement. I think this this is to me is where the Pascal's wager thing is both true, but then also like not, which is the the fact that because this is all flywheel stuff, where it's like the faster you go, the faster you go in almost all these contexts now, right? Because of how the algorithm stuff works, and so it's like the value of potentially getting extra speed at the beginning, in particular, right? Extra momentum early is very very high, and so you have to figure yeah. out. Is there a way to get that or approximate or, or yeah, to make it so that once you actually hit these certain points where t- stuff tips a little bit, that you're in position to take really good advantage of it, yeah. then you're yeah, trying to not going to juice do. positive feedback loops is what you're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What you're not going to do is advertise your way out of a standstill. No, you can't print money. That's just no. sort of, yeah. just don't if, even bother trying. If like, you got no wish lists and no views on anything and, you know, uh, no email list or whatever, then like that's a very difficult thing to 
advertise your way out of. And it, but it is possible that you can kind of like get things started, you know? Yeah. But I think, yeah, definitely. if you've kind of hit a point where you're like, you're, let's say you've got a game, it's been chilling on Steam, you know, for six months, right? And you just aren't really getting sales. You aren't really getting wish lists. Yeah, do not throw point, advertising money. <laughs> at that point, it's like the store has already spoken. It's decided we're not really showing this game to people. You know, and the amount of juice that you would need to <laughs> to spike up your your user numbers. I mean, there's just yeah, there's just no way, right? Yeah. So there may be alternative approaches, uh, like because there are some games that were kind of chilling, and then maybe like a streamer picked them up, or like a very popular streamer, and then that kind of spiked some things, which does happen from time to time. But again, like if you wanted to create that through ads and pay a streamer to do it, it just doesn't really work <laughs> quite the, the same. The likelihood you know? of it of it working in your favor is low enough that it is unlikely to pay dividends. No. Yeah. So I I can I can get behind that where you can use it to attempt to boost things that are already kind of moving in a positive direction. Yeah, he's a strategic um, yeah. And and considering that the the incremental value is really low, right? So that's Sam said like at the beginning of something, if you just need to like inflate some numbers basically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh or inflate awareness, start. right? Yes. Then that's when it's actually potentially cost effective. Again, not in the sense of like dollars in not to direct to dollars out, right? Yeah. But in the sense of uh getting the feedback loops jump started. Um because part of it, like, it is, it is true that like if if you go look at a game's trailer and it's on YouTube and it's got twenty views, right? That feels very different than if you go look at that trailer yes. and it's got a thousand views, even. Oh, hundred percent. Which yeah. feels well, very different than a hundred thousand and so on, right? But actually, you don't need that. It kind of, it's actually kind of like Steam reviews too, right? If you go look at a game and it's got fifty reviews, right? There's basically you're, a, you're skeptical, a but if it's got five hundred reviews, you're like, okay, people are playing this, yep. right? And of course, then if it's got like 23,000 reviews, like some of these juggernauts, right? Then you're like, okay, something is really going on here. Like I have to, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, for, that, well, for that huge range in between though, mostly it's just people are looking for, people are so often looking for a reason not to engage with the thing, true. right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And you want to just get over those thresholds, which are actually pretty low. And I think you could, you can advertise your way over those really low thresholds. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you got to get to that middle ground. Yeah, because yeah, and also if you've got two hundred thousand reviews on your game on Steam, probably don't you don't need to advertise. No, yeah, you really don't. don't. <laughs> Nothing you do is gonna put a dent in just Steam showing your game to that many people organically. Uh, yeah, so I don't. Know. I mean, well, I'm sure we'll we'll do all kinds of weird experiments and then report back with our findings <laughs> on the podcast mm-hmm. about whatever we decide to do for Crashlands too. So. All right, well, that's all the time we have uh, for this week's episode. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.